This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. It's so good to see you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I have the privilege of guiding us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to explore everything that God might want to speak to our lives today. And if it's your first time here, I want to give you an extra special welcome and tell you something that we believe at New Life to our core that you may or may not believe at this point, and that's totally fine, but, but we believe this to be true. We believe that there is a God, and He's not so much like an absent Father as He is like a personal, powerful, always present, loving Heavenly Father who wants to share life with us and wants to connect with us and engage with us. And we believe that God actually wants to do that with you today. And as a church, we want to do everything we can to get out of the way so that God can connect with you. And so I want to invite you, if you didn't grab a cup of coffee on your way in, but you'd like one, feel free to grab a cup, bring it in, kick your shoes off, turn the seats around, do whatever you have to do to get comfortable so you can get ready to connect with God because we believe that He wants to engage with you this morning. When you walked in, you should have gotten a program that looks just like this. Inside, there are two tools that we use every week to help us get on the same page and help us connect with God. And so I want to ask you to pull out this card. It's our Start Here card. And if you would just put your name on it, and if you're new with us this morning, would you put your email address on it? You don't even have to do anything with it yet. But if I've earned your trust over the next 30 or 40 minutes, I'm going to ask you to put this into a basket when some baskets are passed a little later. And all this card is, is it's a connection card. It will help you connect to us, the things we're doing in the city, the things we're doing around the world. It will help us connect to you. And ultimately, when the time comes that you're ready to take a next step in engaging with God, boy, we want to be the church that partners with you to help you take that next step. And this card's just a tool to help us do that. So we won't abuse it. We just want to partner with you in any way we can. So go ahead and put your name on that. And if you're new, your email. The other thing you're going to want are these teaching notes, because we're going to explore one of my favorite stories in the Bible where Jesus has an interaction with a woman at a church service that changed the way that I understood what it meant to be the church and engage with people in our community. So you're going to want to have that. There's some fill in the blanks on it. There's some space on the back for you to write down uh, your notes and, uh, and some thoughts that you have. So go ahead and get that ready. And yes, I'll just go ahead and say it now. I do have a cold. And when I have a cold, I don't so much sound like Barry White as I do like Screech from Saved by the Bell. So just get ready. My voice will crack. You should laugh. I'm just going to throw it out there for you right now. When I get excited, it's like, oh my God. I get very excited when I get sick. So that's fine. You should laugh at least once, twice, maybe five, six times today because we want to have fun together as a community. Well, maybe today's your first day. Maybe, maybe today's your second day. Maybe for some of you, you came on Easter and I want to say welcome back. Someone invited you to come last week, a family member, a coworker, a friend, and you thought, well, it's Easter. I probably ought to go. I ought to try it. And you kind of liked it, and you thought, well, I'll give, I'll give the church a second chance, and I want to say thank you so much. We're so excited to share this journey with you. But whether it's your first time, or your second time, or your hundredth time, as you get ready, as you're filling out that card, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think back to the first time you set foot inside these doors, the first time you came to New Life. So go ahead, take a second, think about the things you saw, uh, what you thought, think about the experience you had. And once you have that in your mind, I want to talk to you a little bit about church. So get that in your head. What was it like the first time you walked through these doors? My guess is that if you didn't have a church background coming into New Life, or if you were raised in a more traditional church background, you walked in and New Life was not like anything you were expecting. 
Uh, you walked in, and there was no stained glass. And you wonder, well, where's the stained glass? You came in here and thought, where's the pews? Where's the choir? Uh, this is not what I thought. The auditorium felt more like a concert venue with lots of lights, no natural light, just lots of lights on the stage and big music. And, and, uh, and it didn't really feel like a sanctuary that you were used to or that you expected. And then I came up on stage, and I was wearing jeans and a shirt, no suit and tie, no collar. And you thought to yourself, oh, that's really nice. They're letting the youth pastor introduce the real pastor. (laughs) But then I talked for about five minutes, and at some point you leaned over to your spouse and you elbowed him and said, is he like like the priest? Is he like the the guy? And then we talked for, for about a half hour, real conversationally. We um, we talked about my family, my kids, Maddie and Landy, and I probably told you a story about my wife, Maria. I asked you to zoom out and think about your life, big picture, and ask some big questions uh, of what it would look like to live life to the fullest and live life without regret and, and live a life of purpose and, and passion. And then at the end of our time together, I shared with you some next steps because I said to you, we believe that information, which is what comes in, plus application, which is what we do with it, leads us to transformation. And we want to have lives that are marked by transformation, by growth, by development. And then you walk back into the lobby, and I invited you to grab a guest gift. And by the way, if you're a guest with us today, I want to invite you to grab a guest gift on your way out over at Guest Central. Go ahead. It's just a way for us to say thanks for joining us today. You were probably greeted by a couple people. We're a hugging church, so you probably got hugged, especially if you saw Pastor Ron at the door. There's no getting past him. He was ready for you. And, uh, and he gave you a big old hug because we believe that Boy, we just want you to be welcome and feel welcome when you come in here. And my guess is you liked it. And here's my scientific rationale behind that. You came back. You came back. So I'm assuming that that you liked it. But it was probably different than you thought. And it probably left you wondering why. And as we launch a brand new series today that we're calling Me to We, I want us to imagine this morning— that you and I were sitting, let's get rid of everybody else and zoom in, that you and I were sitting at a coffee shop. Let's say we were at Starbucks having a cup of coffee. And right about now you're thinking, oh, that's why they had the Starbucks aprons out in the lobby. Absolutely, because we're that cool. We're just having a cup of coffee. And you sat down with me and you said, hey, Kevin, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And you offered to pay because you're extremely generous. And I said, yes, you may buy me a cup of coffee. (laughs) And you said, well, Kev, what's your favorite kind? And I said, free. Free is my favorite kind of coffee. So you bought me a cup of coffee, and, and we sat down. And imagine that you said to me, Hey, Kev, I like new life a lot, but why do we do church the way we do church? It's different than any church I've ever experienced. It's different than the church I was raised in. It kind of broke through a lot of my preconceived notions of what church should be. And you will probably ask me something like, Is it an accident? Or is it just, is it just your personal preference, Kevin? Is that why we do church the way we do? Or is it something else? And if I could sit down across from you at coffee, because I would just love to sit with you. I love coffee, and I love you, so it's two of my favorite things. I would love to sit down with you, and, and here's what I'd tell you if you and I were having a cup of coffee today. So just imagine, again, get everybody else out of the picture. It's just you and I having a cup of coffee today. And I tell you, here's why we do church. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, there's one thing that stands out to me more than anything else. And that one thing has shaped the way that our pastoral staff and our senior leadership team and our volunteers who carry the DNA of new life in the church and in our city, it's shaped the way we do church. And here it is. When I look at Jesus' life, I realize that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. 
the more I, I look at Jesus and his teaching and his life in the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are in the New Testament of the Bible, the more clearly it comes into focus that people didn't always agree with Jesus. They didn't always engage their faith, their life, their family, the way that he thought that they should. And yet they were drawn to him. And early on, I began asking why. Why is it that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus? What is it about Jesus that drew people to himself and ultimately that drew people to God? And the more I experienced Jesus' life and his teaching, the more I realized it actually boils down primarily to one thing. And it comes into clear focus in an interaction that Jesus has in a church service. He's at this temple, and the temple was kind of like the epicenter of the Jewish faith. And at this point, his popularity has grown. And, and we find this story, he's teaching in the temple. Hundreds of people are gathered around together. And in one of the biographies of Jesus's life, the book of John, one of his 12 closest friends, writes down an interaction that Jesus had with a woman in the middle of a church service. And in John chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, At dawn, he, that's Jesus, appeared again at the temple courts, where all of the people were gathered. Picture hundreds and hundreds of people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught having an affair, caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman, and we'll talk about that in a second. What do you say Verse 6 tells us a little subtext. They were using this question to trap Jesus in order to have a basis to accuse him. So try to put yourself back some 2,000 years and picture the scene. There's a huge church service. Three, four, five, six, seven hundred people gathered together. Jesus' popularity has, has swelled almost to celebrity status at this point in the journey. People are flocking from all over the ancient world to hear him teach and to watch the way he interacts with people and to see him heal people. And there are these religious leaders, Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they're threatened by Jesus because the only way they could get people to fall in line was by using coercion and fear and guilt and shame. And people didn't like that, and they were running from the Pharisees, and they were ultimately running from God because they knew there was something wrong about that. But they were flocking to Jesus. And as they flocked to Jesus, their lives were being changed. And instead of learning from Jesus, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they tried to discredit him because the religious leaders hated that Jesus had more influence than they did. And then there's this woman, and, and, and she's caught, they say, in the very act of adultery. So you can imagine, torn out of a bed, probably completely naked. Maybe she grabs a sheet as she, as she gets torn out. They drag her through the streets of Jerusalem, through dirt roads as mud is caking her body. They bring her into the temple, this most holy site, and they throw her down at Jesus' feet, trembling and weeping and ashamed. She can't look up. And as she cries, her tears mix with dirt, and they make mud that cakes her body. And the whispers begin to happen in the crowd. Yeah, we knew about her. We knew she was like that. The people stare, and the people judge. And the whole thing's a setup. These religious leaders don't care about this woman. They don't, they don't care about her encountering God. They just want to trap Jesus. And here's the trap. See, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, says if you're caught having an affair, both the guy and the gal, 
are brought before the court for a trial. And you have to ask yourself the question, where's the guy in this situation? And how do you catch someone in the very act of adultery? They had to know where, they had to know when, they had to know how. This guy in the story is a player in the game that the Pharisees are setting up to trap Jesus and to hurt this woman. And the trap is this, if Jesus says, no, we're not going to condemn her to death, he's going against the law of the Old Testament of the Bible. He's discrediting himself as a religious leader. But if he says, yes, she should be put to death, he's going against the Romans who were the ruling superpower at the time that said the Jews couldn't condemn someone to death. And he would probably be murdered for making that decision. And so he's, he's trapped. And this is all happening, just picture this, in the middle of a church service. And they throw her down. And they say, she shouldn't be here. She has no right to engage with God. She has no right to be in this space. Now, Jesus, what do you say about her? And it says, but Jesus bent down in verse 6. But Jesus bent down. And he started to write in the ground with his finger. And they kept on questioning him. And he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down to the ground and began to write. And Jesus bent down next to this woman who thought that she had no one in the world as, as a crowd of hundreds stood around her staring and pointing and judging. Jesus bent down next to her and he cared for her. And he wrote in the sand, and we don't actually know what he wrote in the sand. People who are smarter than me debate about this whole thing. I'm not even going to try, so I'll save you the time. If you come up to me afterwards and say, well, what do you think he wrote? I'll tell you, I don't know, okay? I don't know. But it must have been good. Because then he stood up and he said, let anyone who's without sin cast the first stone. And if you're new to church, sin, let me give you a working definition. Sin, it's the things that, that you and I, that we think, that we say, and that we do. And they're hurting us. And it's hurting the people we love the most, our spouse, our kids, our friends. And ultimately, it's separating us from God because God is perfect and sin makes us imperfect. And I don't have to tell you what your sin is because you've laid in bed before at night and you thought to yourself with regret, I'm never going to think that or say that or do that or smoke that or drink that or look at that ever again. That was sin. You knew you were hurting yourself, and that's why you thought, I'm never going to do that again. And you knew you were hurting the people you love. That's sin. And Jesus says, if anyone has never sinned, let let him or her be the first one to throw a stone. And verse 9 says this. When Jesus said that, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And I picture her in, in a trembling voice saying, no one, sir then neither do I condemn you. Maybe some of us need to underline that today because you need to hear that. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. And here's what I love about Jesus. Don't miss this. Jesus saw this woman as a human being whom he loved, who God loved and who God had a plan for. And he accepted her at her worst moment. And he protected her at her weakest, most vulnerable moment. And he forgave her at her darkest moment. And he gave her hope in her most hopeless moment. Now contrast that with the religious leaders of the day. They were haters. They hated Jesus. They hated this woman. And contrast that with this guy. He's a player in their game getting her trapped. 
And you know what they say, the haters gonna hate, and the player's gonna play. Jesus said, but you gotta shake it off. <laughs> you thought Taylor Swift was the first one to say that. No, Jesus said it. He's like, the haters gonna hate, and the player's gonna play. You gotta shake it off, shake, shake it off. You gotta shake it off. Shake, shake, shake. Because, because, listen, some of us need to hear this today. Let me just pull over to the side of the road. For some of us, you feel so condemned, you feel so ashamed of your past that you feel like there's no hope for your future. But Jesus is so much more interested in your future with him than he is in your past that you live by yourself. He's saying to you, you just got to get with me and you got to shake it off. Because the hater's going to hate and the player's going to play. But you got to shake it off. Because all the religious leaders were doing is they were building up barriers to keep this woman from God. Her sin was a barrier. Her dress was a barrier. She couldn't, shouldn't have come in like that. All these barriers. And, and religions and religious leaders have accidentally and subtly built up barriers for the last 2,000 years. Here's what barriers look like today. Well, you can do this, but you can't do that in church. This is an acceptable sin. This is an unacceptable sin in church. Barriers today look like this. You got to show up looking perfect if you're going to show up at all. You have to know the right rituals, the right routines, the right time to stand, the right time to sit, the right time to kneel. You got to know all the words. You got to have your Bible, because if you don't have your Bible, you're going to feel out of place. Barriers that would keep people from encountering God. And here's what I love about Jesus, because he's so much different than the religious leaders. See, wherever Jesus went, he knocked down barriers so that people could encounter God. And that's why people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. That's why people who felt far from God were drawn to God through Jesus, because he welcomed them in, and he knocked down the barriers between insiders and outsiders, between good and bad, between right and wrong. Because his belief was the person standing next to you is more holy than the holiest sight you could ever visit. And so we got to love people if we want to love God. That, that's the kind of barrier-breaking Jesus did. And if we were sitting down at Starbucks, I was having my coffee, you were having your latte, I tell you, boy, we want to model new life like that. We want to be a gathering of people who knocks down any barrier that would keep someone from encountering God. That's why we use the language we use. That's why we, we sing the songs we sing. That's why we, we have our guest services team greeting you and doing the things they do. That's why we don't force you to bring a Bible and we put the words up on the screen. We give you the scripture in the notes. That's why I explain the things I explain because I don't want to accidentally set up a barrier that would keep anyone from encountering God. And we strive to identify and knock down barriers because we believe it's the way Jesus loved people and we want to love people like Jesus loves people. And as we wrapped up our coffee time together, you'd ask me if I wanted a second cup and you'd offer to pay because you're extremely generous. And I would say, yes, I would like a second cup of coffee. Thank you very much. And if I sensed you were tracking with me, if I sensed you were buying into the vision of the church, I'd say to you, friend, can I talk to you for a minute as your pastor and as your friend? about some subtle barriers that I see in New Life's future. And they're small right now, but in six months or a year or two years, I see these becoming barriers, big barriers that would keep people from encountering God. And you'd say to me, yeah, I want to know those barriers. Because the truth is, you have real jobs. You go off all week and you actually work. I stay here all week and I just think about barriers. And so I'm thinking about this stuff all the time. 
And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. If it's okay with you, I want to share with you some barriers that I see in our horizon. Is that okay? If I share with you some barriers that I see, and they're subtle and they're small right now, but my job is to look forward and make sure that they don't become big barriers that would keep anyone from encountering God because we want to do church like Jesus did life, breaking down barriers so people could come to God. One of the things, if you've been around for any period of time, that you know is we've been praying for some big miracles. They're on either wall next to me, but one of the big miracles we've been praying for is that God would allow us to reach 800 people each week by the end of the year so that they could encounter God. And that's a a huge miracle we're asking for. Right now, about 600 of us before Easter were gathering every week. So that's like 200 more people a week. That's something that's never happened in the history of our church, and it's, to the best of my knowledge, never happened in the history of Petaluma. But we believe that if we have a church that models Jesus and breaking down barriers, people who are nothing like Jesus are going to like Jesus, and they're going to be drawn to this community. So we've been praying big prayers that God would would help us increase our influence to reach our community like it's never happened in the history of our church or in the history of our town. And I want to share something with you, and you're going to get excited, so get ready for spontaneous applause. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, did you know that we gathered together with 977 people for Easter Sunday? 977 people. 900 and— Are you kidding me? Okay, now listen, you might be thinking, well, that's just numbers. Who cares about numbers? And I'll tell you what, I care about numbers because every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God and it should matter to us. And so we count people each week because we believe that people count and we want to see people connect with God. So yeah, we're praying big and we're trusting God big. And I think on Easter Sunday, God did a major step forward in helping us reach our community. Almost a thousand people, that is unheard of in our city. Why? Not because of me, not because of the music, but because God created us to be a community that's breaking down every barrier that would keep people from encountering him. But here's the thing about it. If God answers our prayer and we begin to reach 800 people a week, which maybe we're praying too small, I don't know, or 900 people or 1,000 people a week, those barriers that are right now in our distance are going to come right up to our forefront really quickly. And here's the first barrier that I see in our distance. And if we were having coffee, this is what I'd share with you. I'd say I think our lack of pastoral staffing is a barrier for us right now. On average, every week, we have 10 to 20 guests come to New Life for the first time. They're giving God a shot, some for the first time in 20 or 30 years, some for the first time ever. Most churches in our country would be ecstatic to have 20 guests come over the course of an entire year. Friends, we're having 20 people come every single week, and they're experiencing the same great things you are. But right now, we don't have the pastoral bandwidth to support the people that are coming in, to give them guidance, pastoral care, to give a personal touch. And here's what we're seeing. We're seeing people walk in, try it for three or four weeks, and walk right back out. And it breaks my heart. And I cry when I see that happen. Because here's what our friends are saying. Here's what your neighbors are saying. Here's what your spouse is saying. They're saying, I came to New Life. I liked it. I gave God a shot. But the truth is, I couldn't get connected. And that might be their one and only shot to engage with God. And I don't want us to have a barrier of not being able to connect people, be a thing that keeps people from connecting to God. And it doesn't have to be that way. One of our dreams, one of the things we're praying about right now is that God would give us the capacity to hire at least one, if not two, pastoral staff this year. 
And right now we're, we're already working. We've set it in the budget to hire a children's and family pastor. And in fact, we have a friend visiting from a consulting group right now, and she's doing all the research, and she's going to partner with us to help us find the right children and family pastor for our church. And God's going to use this person to do some incredible things in our community. I'm so excited. But that's one of the two. And the truth is, the more I think about it, the more I think actually it might be three people that we need to hire in this next year to reach the community that God has called us to reach. But that's a barrier that's a barrier right now. Another barrier I see is going to seem odd to you at first, but just hear me out. Our facility. Our facility is a barrier. And I want to be the first one to say, we have a great facility. I love it. I love it. I'm so thankful for it. I think God has answered so many prayers to get us here. But statistics show that guests make up their mind about whether or not they're going to come back to a church somewhere in the first five minutes of driving onto the church's property. So that's before they check their kids into kids' ministry. That's before they come in here and hear a worship song. That's long before they ever hear me step up on stage. Do you know when the first five minutes is? It's out there. It's out there in our abandoned warehouse-looking Halloween exciting parking lot. That's where our guests are making up their mind about whether or not they're going to come back before they even set foot in the church. And one of the things that we're dreaming about is a facility upgrade so that when they come in, it doesn't look like an abandoned warehouse. Because I keep telling you guys this, the abandoned warehouse look only works on Halloween. The other 364 days a year, it is not a good look for our church. We got to fix it. And here's the thing, because of the generosity of, of people in our church, and because of the generosity of the health center, who we're partnering with in some parking and some local businesses in town, it looks like we're going to have that parking lot paved somewhere in the next six to seven weeks at no cost to us. A three to four hundred thousand dollar project at no cost to us, which is pretty amazing. And that'll break down that barrier. So when friends come in, they think, oh, this is actually a place I could come back. I'm not scared to drive here at night. I'm not getting whiplashed by driving through the tracks in the dirt parking lot. By the way, if you're the one doing loops, okay, get it out of your system. You only got five more weeks until it's all done. So I see that, man. God could knock down that barrier. And then once that comes up in the, in the paved area, we want to put that sports court out there I've talked to you guys about. Basketball hoops. We want to put a volleyball standards up there. And then where your kids after church always go running out into the handicapped parking spots, which, by the way, is not a good idea unless they're totally prayed up, okay? <laughs> right there, we want to do a huge patio with tables and chairs and bleachers and barbecues so that you can have a place to engage with our community and so that when our friends come in for the first time, they see, hey, they're, they're ready for me at this church and they care about me at this church. And I know it seems silly, but can I tell you, that is a barrier on our horizon that I think God wants to fix. Our roof is a barrier. It, it's a 25-year-old roof and it leaks every time it rains. And we've got great roofers who come literally every time it rains to patch different holes. But I want to tell you, if there's a rainy Sunday, you do not want to sit in that general area. That is our leak area. Okay, and if someone's trying to connect with God and all of a sudden they feel drip, 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 that is a barrier unless it's Baptism Sunday. That is a barrier. <laughs> we gotta fix it. But can I tell you, as silly as a new roof is, that's a thirty to $40,000 barrier that we need to fix because it will keep people from encountering God. It just will. We have a, a, a vision, a dream to partner with you better in this church because as our church grows, 600, 700, 800 people, there are some of you right here right now, and you need some, some marriage guidance right now. Not in eight months when we do a marriage series. You need it now. There are some of us here today, and we need some financial freedom counseling now. 
Not in six months when we do a financial series. We need it now. There are some of us here today, and we need some guidance on how to live a life of purpose now, how to understand the Bible now, not in six months or eight months or a year when I get around to teaching on it, and we have a great way to do it. We're going to be creating an intentional pathway for you to engage with God on specific things when you need it right now. We've got the staff in in place for it, and we've earmarked some teachers for it, but here's the problem. We physically do not have any space to have those gatherings for you. We don't have any space in this church right now. We are at capacity. We've got one classroom that we could use for all of those things, and we need to upgrade our facility. So we have a dream about building out the second story, about adding at least three to four new classrooms upstairs. So when you walked into the lobby, you'd see a stairway coming up to that wall that says connect, develop, serve. There'd be a half wall there, and there would be classrooms in there for you to be able to take these intentional classes designed to help you now right where you are. But our facility is a barrier right now, and it's going to be, it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that done, to get that in. These are just barriers. So here's what I want to do. Over the next few weeks, as your friend and pastor, here's what I want us to do. I want us to to talk honestly and openly about what it's going to look like for us to break through those barriers. And as we've been praying about it, and we've been thinking about it, we've been getting creative, here's what I realize. The way that God wants to break through those barriers is through us as a community, through what I'm calling a generosity jumpstart. And so for the next five weeks, I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to ask you to open your heart up and open your mind up to what would it look like for you and I to leverage our financial resources for the sake of our community to knock down barriers that would keep our city, our spouse, our coworkers, our neighbors from encountering God. I want to invite you to spend time dreaming with me about it, thinking about it, praying about it. And then on May 17th, we're going to have a Sunday where we say this is what we're going to commit to do as a community to reach our community, to break down barriers. See, we've always been a church that loves to knock down barriers that's keeping our cities, Petaluma, Roner Park, Novato, Sonoma, from encountering God. And I believe we're up for this journey. The more I pray about it, the more I have a sense that this is exactly where God wants us to be right now. So for the next five weeks, we're going to come, and we're going to talk, and we're going to dream, and I'm going to share with you some stories. We have some video testimonies coming up over the next five weeks of friends whose lives have been transformed through what you did to break down barriers. And I want you to hear their stories because they're going to inspire us and challenge us to be part of what God's doing. And here's what I would ask you to do for the next five weeks. Would you consider just marking your calendar and being open to what God wants to do in you and through you so that we can be a church that continues to look to our horizon and see barriers and knock them down before they become a block to our community reaching Jesus? Because I want our community to be like Jesus. Or people who are nothing like Jesus liked him because he knocked down barriers that were keeping them from him. And I want us to be a church that leverages our resources for the sake of our city. And next week, I'm going to lay out one of the first pictures of a community that took this challenge to be a me-to-we community that moved their focus from me to we and leveraged themselves, their time, their talent, their resource for the sake of breaking down barriers for their cities. I love this story. I'm inspired by them. We're going to share a testimony of my good friend, Rich, of how his life's been transformed by this community. And I want to invite you to come back because it's going to be a powerful time. And we're going to dream and we're going to pray and we're going to laugh and we're going to engage with God around what it would look like for us to break down these barriers. And if you're here today and you're brand new, you're probably thinking, why on earth would a church community leverage their resources for someone they don't know, for me. And Frank, can I tell you why? We leverage our resources for you 
because we believe that even though we don't know you personally yet, God knows you, and God loves you, and God has a plan for you, and you're not here by accident. You are here on purpose for a purpose, and we want to give our lives to be a community that opens doors for you to encounter God, and this whole Me to We initiative, this whole Generosity Jumpstart, it's really about creating space for you to encounter God like you never have, and here's why. Because God is not some distant deity out there. He's not some angry judge waiting to condemn you, throw you down on the ground in front of people, and judge you. He's more like a personal, loving, powerful, heavenly Father who's running through the streets looking for you to grab you up in his arms and tell you how much he loves you and to share this life with you. And here's how we know it. Because Jesus, and we celebrated this last week, Jesus left heaven and he came to earth and he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven by God. And then he rose from the dead. And if you missed the message last week, you need to go back and listen to it because he, we have convincing proof. Over 500 witnesses saw him alive. He rose from the dead, breaking the power of death and destruction and pain in our lives. So we didn't have to lay in bed at night with regret, but we could live in the freedom that God offers. And if you're here today and you've never encountered God like that, if he's always been an absent father, not a personal loving father, I want to invite you, move him from out there today and move him here. And here's how you do it. We're going to pray in just a second. And first, I'm going to pray for all of us as a community that God would give us a vision to knock down barriers to engage our community. And then I want to pray for you. If you're here and you're ready to move God from distant deity out there to personal loving Father who lives here with you, I'm going to give you a chance to say a simple prayer. And it's just a prayer of commitment where you would say, God, I want to walk with you in this life and I want to experience your forgiveness. And if you're ready to do that, I want to tell you God couldn't love you more than he does right now and he's so excited to partner with you in this life. So let's pray together. First, I'll pray for all of us, then I want to pray for you specifically. So let's close our eyes and let's join together in prayer. Lord, I am inspired by you. That everywhere you went, you knocked down barriers and you created space for people to come to know God. And as a community, we want to be a gathering of people that does everything in our power, that leverages ourselves, our time, our intellect, our resources for the sake of knocking down barriers so that our cities could come to know your great love, so that our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors could come to know how deeply you care for them and how much you want to celebrate life with them. So Lord, over these next five weeks, would you give us unity and clarity and excitement around the vision that you've given us to reach our community, to knock down some big barriers that are on our horizon so that we can keep the doors wide open for people to encounter you. God, would you do that for us? Would you inspire us, challenge us, and encourage us? And as we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you're ready to start a relationship with God, you can repeat these simple words after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you love me. And I believe you gave your life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering. And yes, I want you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to partner with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.